0: Hi, it's uh, Monday, right? Yeah, Monday, uh, in the afternoon, and let me take a look at the parasha over here. Again, this is uh, the week being sponsored by a very good friend of this podcast, uh, Abe Gluck Gluck Plumbing in uh, Lakewood. I had the pleasure of giving a talk at his house, I guess a week ago, I think it was, on an unusual subject. Um, But uh, I guess you will not know what I said. Uh, but anyway, today's talk is being sponsored again. Zecha Nishmas' parents, Chaim Lazar Shalom Ben Tovia Gedalia, and Chaba Fega Bas Shmaya. I asked him where they're friend they're from. Uh, his folks were from uh, Kleinverdine and from Silesh, and these are all at famous places in Hungary that if you're not Hungarian, you never heard of. But if you are, you certainly did. And his mom's from Debrecen, and uh, her mother was in Belgium. It's interesting. And uh, these are the people that were, uh, you know, hit by the war. That's plain and simple. These are the mishpachos, I should say, that were hit by the war. And it's just funny. And my show, Mrs. Gard- Dvar Gardner, her is comes from the Selisha Rav and Klein Dine and all that. So there's a lot of uh, uh, interesting connections over here. Uh, so uh, again, we hope the Neshama's have an Aliyah. And as I said the other day, you know, the uh, the, the real Aliyah's Neshama comes from the way the descendants act you Know which in this case is good. Uh, can't say it by every <laughs> podcast, but I can not say it by this one, okay. Um, we're looking, of course, at the kisei, and I'll just jump right into it with with the fast tower, uh, which always uh, grabs attention every year, especially in the context of El. Um, hope I never said this before, but uh, the fast, the, the whole business of uh, of this, uh, unusual halacha, let's put it this way, that everybody's familiar with, is uh, very, uh, how should I put it, very descriptive on multiple levels. The Torah, of course, is a document that is read on many levels, actually an infinite number of levels if you want to get down to it. If you really want to get down to it, it's beyond infinity, but we're not going to go there. And, you know, we'd have to be my mind of the philosophers today. And, uh, the Torah, of course, is a direct and discreet halacha revolving human beings. In other words, as you and I all know, Dibriturah Kennege Yitzhar knows the plain pushup shot without any shtick is, as everyone knows, the soldiers on the battlefield. He sees a Yifas Torah. is a cheshek, is uncontrollable. Or at least to this soldier is uncontrollable. And therefore, you negates a Yitzhar, if you're going to do it, do it this way. Right? Uh it's not even clear as you all know in the gemara do you do the be before, the be after, it's Acher tavi Toby ba'al Alto is that the first or second and so on and so forth. I'm not gonna go through the uh, nitty gritty salacious details on a family TV show. Let's just uh, say that uh, the basic idea of course goes that Havesel that uh, you before you rush into any kind of long-term relationship, you uh, see her, how should I put it, not with the makeup on. Right? You remove the makeup and the clothing and all this kind of stuff. (laughs) And she's screaming and wailing, as is understandable. The hope being that um, the hope being that as a result you'll get rid of her. Okay? Uh, Don't mess her over, don't sell her, and so on and so forth. You already caused enough trouble to her. So in other words, this is a way of handling what we would call a uh, kind of a random encounter. Or narrowly it's not conceivable oops ordinarily it's not conceivable within a Torah framework that a guy would find the Yafas Toar agai, and Chashaktah Bar all the rest of it (coughs) notice we wouldn't imagine in a from family situation you would have this moreover I mean I'm speaking ideally now moreover if the B'nai Yisrael would have gotten rid of all the Sheva Umos and all this one way or the other they physically wouldn't be around on the other hand, in war, things can happen, right? In war and battle, things can happen. So this goes to the heart of something very interesting. And as I say, I'm gonna deal with it. I hope on, on a number of levels. First of all, war has its own problems. Uh, the, as I've said many times, I don't know of any war that ever ended the way the people who started the war figured it would end. You understand what I'm saying? It didn't. And it may be that one side won a military victory over the other, but the results weren't what they, where they thought. Think, for example, World War One or World War Two. The Allies won the First World War. They got rid of the Kaiser, but then they got Hitler, which is a million times worse. In the Second World War, they figured they'll defeat Hitler, and then everything will be nice ever after. You got Stalin and the communists for the next uh, 50 years. And now you got the other junk, you know. And Stalinism bred Chinese Communism, who knows what. So, the USA, for example, to take one example, going to war after Pearl Harbor didn't realize that even if they win, which they did win the war, life will become incredibly more complicated and more costly as a result of the victory. Better than defeat, but as a result of victory. Imagine, in the U.S. history, for example, we never had an armed forces. It was always very tiny. And one of the main reasons, not the only reason, one of the main reasons was to save money. How big was the Gansa American Army in 1939 when the Second World War brought it around? I think it was hundred fifty, hundred seventy thousand. 170,000. The Gansa Army from the whole business later ballooned to 12 million, but I'm talking about, you know, why so small? The Congress and the American people didn't want a big army. Why spend on it? Before the First World War, was like also 100,000. It used to be, there was a time when the whole U.S. Army was 10, 15,000. They used to rely on militias to fight the Indians and things like that. So, um, what about after World War II? Zillions, trillions, millions. One of the reasons, again, not the only reason, one of the reasons we're in the hole for 30 trillion or forty trillion, which you'll never get out of, as a national debt is the military spending. It's not the only reason, but it's a a very important part of the reasoning. So you never know what's going to be in the end. So I would call this the unintended uh, consequences of war, the unintended, which is an iron rule of history when you have the unintended consequences of history. There's no way, or there's almost no way to calculate successfully how things are going to look when the fighting is over, which is why smart countries, when they're able to avoid wars, when they're able to, you understand, avoid wars, I understand, I get it that you're not always able to, but, but they're a that's how it works, and here you have a perfect example in our parsha because you have a from kid, who grew up in, I don't know, you know, in Ephraim, in Menashe, wherever it was, and let's assume that, you know, he's a from kid, and, uh, you know, he grows up with the, with that kind of a chinoch and so forth, surrounded by parents and, and members of his tribe that are like him. And then comes a war, let's say, for whatever reason. And I'm not talking about design Zion It comes a war. And this guy gets drafted in the army because it's necessary in the war. It is necessary. And he fights in the war. First of all, there's whole things about eating treif. They can eat, you know. He's exposed to different type of food in foreign battlefields. But second of all, uh, second of all, uh, all of a sudden, he's exposed to a certain temptation that he never would experience back in home when he was living in Monsi, in Lakewood, in Meisharim, Sharm in Benei Whatever the equivalent was in those days, it's only because he got involved in a war, which could even be a mechametz. I don't know, you know, it could be a necessary war, a good war, as they say. But by definition, war has all these unintended consequences, and I'm talking about, the, therefore, the soldiers coming back with what I would call a spiritual PTSD. You understand, a spiritual one. I'm not talking about the psychological one, which is its own problem. I'm not making light of that at all. Not at all. My son <laughs> dad, uh, treats people with that. Uh, but I'm talking about a spiritual PTSD. The person's not the same in terms of Yiddishkeit. You can't be the same after you've gone through. Okay. I mean, this is common sense now. The problem, therefore, so so think about this. The Jews went to war. They won the battle in the military sense. The soldiers came back with a bunch of Ifas Toars on top of the women to whom they're married back at at home. Let's say they ended up marrying the Ifas Toars. Then you end up with, as you all know, Ben Ahuba, Ben Snuah, and Ben Zerimur, and those, they wrecked up the whole, messed up the whole family situation. So what was the point of the war? As a result, things are worse now than they were before the war. You get it? What was the whole point of going to the war? You didn't, you lost. And this is a well-known observation throughout history. I'm thinking of that famous little poem from Shmuel Nagid back in Spain, who was, among other things, a general and had his share of wars. I just did a podcast on I'm not a podcast, you know, uh, my summer lecture series last month, you know, time to three weeks, um, on the different court Jews. So, I spoke a fair amount about him in, in, in the context of a military commander. So, he saw his share of wars, uh, unlike other Rishonim. In other words, Shmuel Anuget was not only Rosh Hashim, but he was a commander of an Arab army. And he has a famous old poem that i read before, where it says, "Krov duma baroshal yafefa, asher kolish lasachik boya ave, besofo is a Kena asher kol shoch raiv keviyev." Which means, war is at first like a beautiful girl, asher kol lasachik boya all men long to play, but in the end she turns into a repulsive hag, whose sutures weep and ache. Which, of course, is a poetic way of saying. That when a war starts, everybody says, ooh, the banners are fly, everybody's patriotic, they have parades in the street, you wave the flag, and that's good. I'm not, you know, in other words, I'm not knocking, what shall I say, um, you know, American patriotism or, or, or whatever patri- whatever country you're in. And I'm not. It's a, it, it, it's a good thing in its own way. But everybody knows that at the end, um, what is the end? At the end, what Christ's glory? The people come back mangled and wounded or PTSD and this and that and the other. And, you know, for them it's not a victory. You get it? It's not a victory. They won the war, but they didn't win the war. So here, in the Klai sense, with the whole fastor Torah business, so a We have to deal with the spiritual PTSD. Therefore it's a metziyus. V'chashak taba the only thing is we're trying to figure out a way that, you know, as we say, can you control this? So the Torah is acknowledging that one of the bad aspects of war is that you get out of control. You cannot expect soldiers, you know, to be a tzaddikim. Uh Why not? Are you telling me the Chavez Chaim would take your fast Torah? I'm not saying that, but David Amelch did. Who's a bigger tzaddik? I don't answer that question. I don't know. I'm, you, you get my point. Big people did. Because when you're in a battle, it's, you know, you, you, it's not like you're a civilian, but you're fighting. It's a different messiahs. You understand? It's a different messiahs. I, what about the consequence? So that's what the Torah is trying to say. Focus on the consequences. Before you commit to a long-term relationship, take her home, you know, see her disheveled, see without the makeup, so to speak, see the other side, hopefully, you'll let her go. Right? The best outcome of the Fas Torah situation is, Boy, everybody's happy. Now, to be perfectly honest, the guy will still be ruined to a certain degree. Do you get what I'm saying? Once he had that kind of situation, who knows what he's going to be thinking about. I'm very serious. You know, I mean, How's this going to, yeah? How's this going to affect his his marriage, his relationship with his wife and children, and all the rest of it? I don't know, but I don't want to know. You, you, know, you know what I'm saying? It's it's messy. It's no good. And the consequences, as we all know, are ben sorer and all the rest of it. That's the famous story of King David and Avshalom and all the rest of it. I'm sure I've spoken about that in the past. Achas, ahuba, achas, and so on and so forth. So. We're trying to prevent a one-time encounter, a one-night stand, from turning into a long-term situation, which will result in major problems of the of the of the type um, type variety. So it is an unfortunate fact of life that certain things, like these zocher situations, can have long-term consequences down the line. Uh, sometimes you make mistakes in life and there are short term consequences right Yeah. you insult somebody that you never met before they punch you in the face and they go off and it's over and you say I'm not going on that street and insulting anybody anymore I don't know, something like that the consequences of that if you're a man you can take it were short and, and sharp and to the point but on the other hand, if someone ends up in a situation where as a result of some kind of relationship their children involved out, that, that's a long-term business. And it's not going away. And it's only gonna fester and get worse. You get it? And you say what, for For five minutes of whatever, I ended up with 50 years of Taurus. Ah. So that's why the Torah is saying, you, be careful, right? You may be shocked, I get that. But, you know, think of the end. And do you really want to get yourself involved in this kind of long-term situation? And, uh, you know, uh, what do they say today? You know, uh, support payments and who knows what. Uh, uh, Think twice. So we're asking the soldier, even though he's in the middle of the battle and so hot blood and all the rest of it, the thing that can hold you back I mean unless you're really from okay so if you're really from you, you, you know you say like this you say, I'm not looking you know i'm not, this this is not for me, but Dipper token hard the Torah obviously knows that that's not the average person it may be within the wholeness of the average person, but it's it requires a lot of self- control and um you know listen, we know today when it comes to these things self- control in such matters doesn't characterize our current culture <laughs> right. That's not doesn't characterize our current culture. The whole modern culture is one in which it's the other way around. You, know, you don't get any uh, <laughs> you know any, any any kind of reinforcement, and so the result is the Avos is a very powerful statement. Now, um, and it becomes a um, what's the right word? A kind of a, a model for. The famous line of Schar Mitzvah Schar Mitzvah. Thinking through the consequences of what you're about to do. Cheshek uh, is the reverse of that. Cheshek has to do with um, my feelings now, which like usually I guess you would translate as a kind of a lust, right? Well, I mean, that's usually how we translate Cheshek lust it means a very an overwhelming an overpowering kind of desire for something is of Africa for that but usually it's for that but you know a person can be lust for power or things like that so that means that you the this, this strong craving the strong desire sort of like dominates you you're already in unhealthy territory you're you're, you're in um dangerous territory because you can have a lust for uh ambition and power that can can take you down that's that's very uh you know it's it's very common okay and you know it, it, it's not it, it's not at all uh, and your perspective is clouded I mean we we know all this sort of business now here's the thing the parsha also can mean and I'm sure the musarist must say this in general he you go and fight the Yitzhara and you think you won, uh, but the HR can come back at you by presenting the same thing you rejected in the form of something very attractive, and and you conceive a powerful desire for it. There's a lot of cases I know where it's funny, you know, a person wanted to do X, whatever it was, I'm not going to describe it, and he thought it through and so on and so forth, and he had his own little internal cheshman, and in the end he decided not to do it. But an hour later it came back and this time he collapsed like a house of cards. Or she or she did. Why is it? People are funny that way. For <laughs> Right? You see a fast Torah knows. You see the Avera. I'm not talking anymore about a soldier and a and, and, and girl. I'm talking about sin in general. Right? That's how the Mussarists put it. You see, if I for example, I went to eat, I'm again, I'm just making this up, obviously. I see somebody really gvaled this traif. I know I shouldn't do it, but But I really want it. I mean, I really, really, really want it. Or I shouldn't steal this money, which is lying on my table here. $50,000 belongs to someone else. Look, you give in. Now, at the time you're overpowered by the Cheshek, you're not thinking of the long-term consequences. That is exactly the nature of the Yitzhar. Right? Don't think of long-term consequences. And it says, indeed, that uh, The thing you have to do is analyze it and strip off the makeup and the fancy clothes and all the rest of it and see it for what it really is, that's not so easy. But that's the only defense against against Cheshek. Okay? It's the only defense against Cheshek. That, you know, you have to see the thing for what it really is. And uh, only if after you saw everything, all the problems, you still want to do it, we assume that, you know, there must have been a strong reason for it or something. So, you know, and so on and so forth. But don't think that there won't be long-term consequences for this, because you will have a ben hasnio, and you will have a ben sor When you and only within the framework of thinking about what happens the day after tomorrow, is it possible to resist the yitzhar? So basically, life is a kind of a chess game, and chess, of course, involves you have to think ahead. You can't just do one thing at a time. That's the soldier. Of Isn't this exactly a chess game? Suppose you're playing against a good opponent; he'll set something up. It'd be very tempting for you to go make that move. But then you say, "Guess, uh-oh, let me think this through. If I go and do this with my rook or my pawn or whatever it is, uh, let, let, let me plot this. Isn't that how you play chess? And let me plot this next several moves. I'll do this. I'll do this. I'll do this. I'll do, this, I'll do that." And that's so you better do your analysis if you don't want to lose the game. You better do your analysis before you make your move. Um, this is very hard. <coughs> the Torah, therefore, is saying that if you are facing uh, tempting challenges in life, every tempting challenge is a kind of yafas Torah in its own way. I don't mean literally a girl or something like that, but it's it's a temptation of its own. We don't do things unless we're tempted. Um, But then you don't go and analyze it. So if you want to put this into the simplest terminology, think of a parent and a child, a kid. You take a kid to a candy store or to a a toy store. I want to get this and I need that. And it's understandable. for The child says, eh, and the children, the grandchildren, I want this, I want that, all the rest of it. The parent, of course, is thinking, you know, hey, this is a rip-off. It's just they put some uh, fancy, uh, you know, stuff on it. They uh, put advertising in such a way to attract the kid. But me, myself, and I, I know that this is not good. Maybe the approach is they're charging 50 bucks, and I know it actually costs them (laughs) $2.50. You know, that kind of way of thinking. Or what will we do with another tchotchke in the house? We all know that the kid will play with it for a day or two and then throw it aside. So why should I spend money? All these modes of analysis are the idea of stripping off the makeup. You see? So the Torah is speaking specifically about a case of war and the girl all the rest of it. But how did the Chazal put it? So the term at least to me, has two meanings. One is the plain meaning that the Torah is trying to deal with the the natural lust within a soldier in a combat situation. That's one way, and that's certainly the Pashim shot. But in a grander scheme the Torah is dealing with the Yitzahara in general. But here's the Yitzahara of acquisition and possession and lust, in which you know things are made attractive and you now the problem today is all of modern I mean this all modern culture in America and the West in general has uh, morphed into a because of capitalism into a euphoto type situation. In other words, how do you sell anything? you got it you know on the internet's sake, for example, you do it not simply by saying, here's a product, and if somebody needs it, I'm offering it for sale. You're not going to sell too much that way. you got to drum up a whole business, and you have to put on the makeup, right? And it has to be that, you know, uh, is, she's, you're not Megaleach Roche and you are, are not Osses Atzi pornayim, and you're wearing the Simla Shibya, and then all of a sudden, an item that you never heard of even before, You can't live without it. You can't live without it. And everybody knows that unless you're a smart shopper and you're a critical shopper, uh, you're going to fall for every kind of line that they throw at you on the internet. And there are people like that. Me, myself, and I I know people like that. And they have trouble in marriage and things of this nature because the money's always running out because they buy all kinds of things that they do not need to buy. And next thing you know, families in some kind of a financial situation and you gotta bring in the Mesila people and you gotta bring in the the, you know, Dava Cisrol people, whatever the organizations are to help out in these situations in your community. And those people have to do for you what you should have done yourself in the first place, which was strip off the makeup. You see? And say, Okay, you're making this and this much money coming in, but I see you're spending it on this and this and that and that and you don't need that. Okay, you don't need that now. If they don't need it, why were they buying it? They saw your fastoar, and they thought they can't live without it. But all of modern advertising, and sophisticated in its own way, is kadele oreh is Is that an exaggeration what I'm saying now, or the plain truth? I'm, I'm very serious. Am I? Exa- I'm not exaggerating. The entire shad of advertising industry. And everything associated with that is to be on the part of the people. Uh, that's why these fads come and go. And if you ride the fad, you know, that's a good, that's a smart businessman. I'm not, but again, you know, that's a smart businessman. Let's say, for example, I remember one year, my brother, was Sean, uh what was it? You know, who passed away in the year 2000. So, when, you know, But before that, uh, he was in New York found out they're going to be some zach with a certain type of hair, hair uh, um, clip for girls, female, some kind of a clip. You put, you know, plastic thing. you do in the hair? And that turned out to be the fad of that year. And he was lucky enough to ride it. He did okay because that was a mishigas, right? Had to look, have a certain look, and had a certain uh, design. But they sold zillion of them. So whoever got on top of that for the six months or ten months that that was riding high, made a fortune. You understand? Why? And nobody did the problem of, of undoing the makeup. After a year, exactly like you have in the Afaz Toar, you know, give a month, it says over there. So in modern uh, um, consumerism, is, let's say a little more than a month. A book says, So in other words, the cheshek, all the rest it, will wear off after yom, after 30 days. It's not the same novelty, not the same newness. Uh, at that point, the person says, why did I spend my money on all this mushigas? So that's just one example of many, as we all know, where the cheshek is the enemy itself. And the inability to see things for what they really are is the enemy itself. The Torah does use the vivid example of the soldier and the female captain because it was a real issue, and I guess it's still always will be an issue, but it's much larger than the, just that. And to tell you the truth, if you look through Parshish Kisete, you'll see there are many of these mitzvahs, these ases and lozases, which again have a literal meaning and an important meaning of their own, but if you look at it in a wider perspective, as I'm trying to suggest now, you'll see that they often are metaphors uh, for other issues of the Sahara. When I say it's a metaphor, it doesn't mean the posture shot's is not true either. But in addition to the Pashib shot and, and the halacha that flows from the Pashib shot, there's a wider metaphor, which I think is a very useful one to think about at this time of the year. That's why Kisetzai always comes out in L. And um, if people would take the trouble to the everything they want to spend money on, or every mm, temptation that this person, that person, male or female, wants to, wants to follow. If they would say, let me think about this without the makeup, let me think about this after you know, 30 days, chances are a lot less missteps would be made by people in life. Anyway, that's what I think. Uh, so, uh, this just, just a partial shot to me on the partially fast tour And with that, I want to once again thank uh, Mishpachas Gluck and the Shams of the Pancham and Aliyah, and I wish everybody a good day.